If this is your first time, welcome. We are glad you're here. My name is Daryl. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. And uh, if, uh, if you came in at a different time this morning and you thought we were starting at one time and you came in during the prayer time, uh, there's some info in the bulletin there to help you understand our new schedule. And there is more detailed information in the orange room when you leave. Please stop by there. Someone will help you, give you information about what our worship and prayer time is, what our worship and praise time is. And then now we are in our worship in the Word time. And this is when we open God's Word. Go ahead and grab your Bible. We will be in Romans chapter 5. So go ahead and start making your way to Romans chapter 5. If this is your first time, we are glad you're here. Would you do us a favor? There's a card in the back of the seat just in front of you. It's a great card. It's perforated. You bend it a couple times, and then there's a small portion. We'd love to have a record of your visit with us and be able to pray for your family, get you any information that you mark on the card you would like. Just drop that small portion of the card in the brown wooden box at the back of this room. That is our offering box. We give our tithes and offerings there with great joy in our trust for God's provision. We give our tithes and offerings there. Would you make that card if you're visiting with us today, you're offering to us? That's all we ask. We'd love to have that record of your visit and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, I'll leave the other announcements for the bulletin. Uh, Life groups start this week, and they're posted in the hall if you're not already involved in a Sunday morning life group. Bible study, why don't you jump into one of the uh, many groups that are offered during the week. What does God say about me? That's the series we are in, the first Sunday in our series. The title was uh, that we very often have delusions of grandeur. We, We had to deal with the fact that God says that I am a sinner. That was part one. Part two was, on the other end of the spectrum, God says that I am loved. And that sounds obvious. Jesus loves us. We all know that. We sing the song when we're young. But when we really think about it, when we really leave this place of theoretical and we go back out into the practical world, Jesus loves me often gets very difficult. When we get back into our life and we start figuring out that we're not who we we think we are all the time, um, we start wondering if God knows us as well as we know us. Does he see our heart? Does he... Does he, does he understand what's going on sometime in our minds, in our motives? Does he really know us? Does he really know us as well as we know ourselves? And of course, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And this whole series is based on the idea that God does know us better than we know ourselves. And very often, we are telling ourselves not the whole truth. Before we come to Christ, we believe the lie that we're good enough to impress God, that if we get our chance to stand before our Creator, then we'll just explain it all to Him, and it'll all work out. And that's, that's not how it's going to work. After we come to Christ, we tend to believe sort of an opposite lie, that we're not good enough. Surely God has made a mistake. Surely God was mistaken when He saved me. I mean, maybe God doesn't know me that well. Maybe, maybe he doesn't see the sins that I struggle with. Maybe he, doesn't, maybe he doesn't know my attitude. Maybe he doesn't see me deal with my spouse sometimes. Maybe he doesn't understand the struggles I have in my job. Maybe he doesn't understand my moral struggles. Maybe he doesn't know me as completely. And the truth is, God says that we're loved. Last week, we spent, we spent the morning in Romans chapter 5, reading the words from the Apostle Paul, that helped us simply to understand that regardless of what we think of ourselves, we are loved. Let me remind you of a couple of those verses. While we were still helpless, that's what he said last week, 
while we were still helpless, past tense, at just the right time, Christ died. Christ died. Christ didn't die for you because you were, you were something special. He didn't die for you because you were worthy of his death. That's not the truth. The truth is that our, our estate, our state of manhood, womanhood, was fallen, helpless. That's when Christ died for us. At our worst, he died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, if you think about it. Perhaps for a good man, someone would maybe dare to die. They're hard to find. They're hard to find in humanity. But God's not like us. God, verse 8, demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, in the worst place we could ever imagine being, helpless, ungodly sinners, as far from God as He could put us, He demonstrated through His death His love for us. Remember what we said about that word demonstration? It's like the word demo. It's simply a taste of what God has done. It's simply a sample of God's love. Now, does that make sense to you? Can you comprehend that? That the cross of Jesus Christ was not the totality of God's love for us. It was merely a glimpse of the full measure of the love the Father has for us. In some strange way that I don't know that we can wrap our head around, the cross of Jesus was a mere glimpse Some of your versions may say that God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Commended. He, as if he recommends, he commends Jesus on the cross to us. He says, look at this. Look at this. Look at this recommendation that you embrace my love. Look at Christ. Look at the death on the cross. Now open yourself to the full measure of my love. Now remember the whole context of this. The whole context of Paul's argument here is that you can't do it. It's all by grace through faith that we have been saved. We have, you remember at the beginning of chapter 5, we have now peace with God by what Jesus has done. Present tense, Paul wants us to know that we have peace with God. What does that mean? When you struggle with the concept that I am loved, Remember, I have peace with God. But does he know I struggle over here? You're at peace with God. You're at war with him no more. Why? Did I fix myself? No. By the death of Jesus, by his shed blood, God has demonstrated his eternal love to us, that it might be his love poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So now, now that you are in Christ. Verse 9, much more. Having now been justified. Now that you're in Jesus. Now that that sin has been taken care of. Do you have to worry about the fact that He loves you? (laughs) You didn't worry about it when you were helpless, ungodly, enemies, sinners. If God could love you through that, Paul's point, how much more then? love you now that you have been reconciled and that you are, present tense, justified by Jesus in Christ 
Now you stand in grace. Isn't that good? Do you see your position? Do you see that God loves you that much? That if he loved you enough that through the, look at verse 10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the, what? Death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved. Here's his argument. That if the death of Jesus shows you God's love, how much more now should the living, resurrected, breathing in me, Jesus, I in him, Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, alive and well, arguing on our behalf as if he is our our lawyer, our advocate before the throne. How much more now that we have an alive, resurrected Jesus can we trust in the love God has for us? Wow. We left last week and I said this to you. That should be amazing to you. The fact that God can love us that much through all that. But what I didn't tell you is how can he... How can he do such a thing? How, how can he, practically speaking, theologically speaking, how does that work? I mean, it, it sounds great and it blows us away, but does it hold any water theologically? The rest of chapter 5 is Paul's theological basis for saying that it is true of you that you are a Christian. You are loved completely holy, without restriction, without merit, undeserving of it. It has nothing to do with you. It's all about God. You are loved. You are loved. How does he, how does he pull that off? I mean, how do we theologically wrap our heads around this? And he says, okay, I'll tell you. The rest of Romans chapter 5. Follow along with me if you have your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, there's a Bible in the bottom of the seat somewhere near you. I'm going to pick up in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world. Now hang on here, because this is going to get very, very confusing. Just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so sin, or death, excuse me, spread now to all men, because all sinned. For unto the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. It was there even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was and is a type of him, capital H, who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, capital M, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift, it arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more, those who received, past tense, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, capital O, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted in condemnation to all men, Even so, through one act of the righteousness, they're justified, a result of justification of life to all men. Whereas through the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Even so, through through the obedience of the one, capital O, 
the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, ah, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is a mouthful and that is a mindful. I'm not going to go back verse by verse and try and explain this. In the time we have left, here's what I want you to understand. The key to understanding how God can love us, not just that he does. We spent last week just trying to help you to understand that you are loved. That's what he says. But the question today is, how can he love me? The statement I put on part three is that I am a saint. How can that be? How can he declare me a saint? How can theologically God love me? The key to understanding how God can love us is in your heritage. I want to write that word down. It's in your heritage. If you know your roots, then you know who you are, right? Knowing where you came from helps you to understand where you are and who you are. The problem is that we as Christians have been confused about who we are. We've been confused about who we are. We have what you might call an identity crisis on our hands. As Christians, mind you, we struggle trying to decide, are we actually sinners or are we saints? It seems that Scripture declares me to be a saint, but, but sometimes I sin. Sometimes more than other times. What is the truth about me? How is it true that I am a saint? How can God love me? How does it work? Now write this down. If you don't get any other statement here, I want you to get this because this is the key to how God can love us. You got a little space there in your bulletin? Write these words. Birth determines identity. Not performance. This is the key. Birth determines your identity, not performance. Paul's argument here, it's based on the first Adam, the Adam and Eve Adam, and then this later Adam, this final Adam, this second Adam who would come, namely Jesus Christ. These two federal heads one, we are all descendants from the Adam of Adam and Eve. And God said to Adam that the day you shall eat of this tree, you shall surely die. The day you sin, Adam, death will take over. And when Adam sinned, death reigned. This is the basis. This is the, this is the start of Paul's argument for how can God love us? Follow me. When Adam sinned, death reigned. Physically, did it happen? No, not immediately. Physically, he began to deteriorate and die. And that would be passed down to all of us. Physically speaking, we get our minds, we get our eyes, we get our lungs, we get our hearts. Physically, we are, we are in the line of Adam. And physically, because of Adam's sin, we inherit that, that sinful gene so to speak, that causes us physically also to be perishing, right? And this is happening, right? Some of you look better than others at older ages, but hair is going away, muscle mass is going away, 
You know, it used to be that, you know, when you first met your spouse, everything was like, wow, right? A buddy sent me a text of a picture of us in high school, and uh, he said, how sad is this? And I'm like, thanks, man. I really, uh, uh, we were on the beach, and, and it, it was sad. I said, thank you for depressing me with, with these pictures. Look how, look how thin, look how fit I was. And now, you know, when I'm home and step out of the shower, the wife laughs. Okay? Maybe that was too much information. You, you get what I'm saying here? Uh, we're deteriorating, folks. We're dying. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve in the garden there, and we inherit that. We're, we're dying. We're going downhill fast. And that's obvious. What you also need to understand is that not only did he die physically that day, not only did that ball start rolling, but immediately we died in Adam spiritually. From that point on, as Adam and Eve had offspring, you could say that we were spiritual stillbirths. We inherit not just Adam's physical attributes, but we also inherited his spiritual inheritance. What is our heritage? Remember what I said? The key to understanding who we are is in our heritage. And we all descend from Adam. And when Adam fell, guess what? His seed from there on out was fallen. We were all born fallen. We were all born into what Adam became. Adam entered us into sin, whether we like it or not. And at your birth, you arrived as a sinner. I don't know if you, I don't know if you understand that part of your heritage. You were born a sinner. Now remember what I said. Birth determines identity, not performance. Some of you think that you're sinners because you must confess that along somewhere in your life, you've dropped the ball once or twice, right? Maybe couple times more than that. But here's the fact. Birth determines your identity, not merely your performance. Now, none of us, none of us have performed well enough. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. Amen? We've all sinned. So our performance disqualifies us alone. But I used to think this, and, and, and maybe I even have said this to someone in talking to them about the gospel, that if you could have lived your life perfectly then you could have made it to heaven. But because we've all fallen short of the glory of God, you know you've messed that up. You've ruined that, right? We've all lied. We've all cheated. We've all stolen at some point. If we didn't commit adultery, then, then we've lusted in our heart. If we, didn't, if we didn't commit murder, then just as Jesus said, maybe we've hated in our hearts. We've all fallen short somewhere. But if you could have lived that perfect life, then you would have made it to heaven. That's not theologically accurate. Here's why. All you needed to be a sinner is a birth certificate. One author said that your birth certificate is your ticket to hell. You needed not to arrive on the scene and perform out your sinfulness to be a sinner. We are born. Here is our heritage, folks. We are born sinners. Now, this is Paul's basis of argument. In the first Adam, we inherit not just the physical falling apart, but we have inherited this spiritual fallen nature. And so when we arrive on the scene, we are sinners by birth. Let me give you an example here. 
uh, one author put it like this. Uh, you're not a toad because you croak and eat bugs. He said, if you were to spend the rest of your life eating bugs until you croaked, that wouldn't make you a toad. Catch that? Uh, just because you eat bugs and you croak like a toad doesn't make you a toad, doesn't make you a frog. Just because you moo and chew your cud, I don't know what cud is. That's the only other example I could get in my mind right now. What is it like? I don't know. Anyway. Um, just because you moo and, and do things like a cow doesn't make you a cow. What determines your identity? Birth determines your identity, not your performance. You can do all those things like some other animal, but you are human. Believe me. When, you're, when, you're, when your mom was in, in the pains of childbirth, she wasn't laying back praying, oh, I hope it's human. I won't make a joke about that. Right? That's not, that's, that's not, that's not going to happen. Birth determines our identity, and we are all born of the seed of Adam. Uh, incidentally, is the story of Adam and Eve and the fall in the garden, is it important to our theology down the road? Yeah. You can't toss Genesis out, folks, and still somehow, somehow come up with a good theology. It doesn't work. We have inherited the sin gene from our father, Adam. I don't fully understand. I can't wrap my mind around how that works, but we need to understand that our heritage comes from our father, Adam. But there is another Adam. Paul's argument continues. He said, in much the same way, but to a greater degree. Check this out. There was another Adam that came along. And Adam means man. There was another man that came along. And he is sort of a, a head of another group of people. If Adam is the head of all the human race, there's another guy who kind of takes ahead of another generation. And in this last Adam, this capital M man, this capital O one, in this Jesus Christ, this final Adam, there's another story to be told. There's another heritage to be had. Now, how do we, how do we explain that the God of all creation who we've rebelled against, who calls us ungodly, sinners, uh, helpless enemies, how can we wrap our mind around the fact that he can, legally speaking, practically, theologically justify the statement that we are loved and that we are saints? How does that work itself out? Here's how it works. That in Jesus Christ, we are born anew. And when you, by faith, through the grace of God, die with Christ to your old heritage and you are buried with him in the likeness of his death. Check this out. We are not merely resurrected with Jesus. Um, I did a short look and I'll have to keep looking at this, but I don't think that the Bible says that we are in this sense in regard to our spiritual uh, salvation. I don't think it says that we are resurrected with him. Our bodies will be resurrected. You know the term that it uses for us? It says that we are born anew. You see, God doesn't merely resurrect our old heritage and somehow transform it. The truth of the matter is what God says and what Paul argues for in the rest of Romans 5 is this, that you no longer have the heritage of the first Adam. Check this out. You, in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, you are born anew. And so now you have a new father. And with that new father, guess what? That, 
that timeline, that heritage that you had in Adam, that past that we all think of, our sinful past that came with our fallen nature from thanks old granddad Adam, guess what? It's not just still there and now we are with Jesus. From God's perspective and from theology proper, Scripture would have you know that not just is your future secure in Jesus, not just is your present controlled by your salvation and walking out being in Jesus, but your past has now changed. Your heritage has changed. Birth determines your identity, Christian, not your performance. How can God love me? How can that be, how can that be theologically true? Here's how it can be theologically true. We think from a performance standpoint. I know, I know how I fall short. I know sometimes where my mind goes. I, I know the sin I still struggle with as I, as I am still in this flesh, as I'm, as I'm born again in the spirit, but I'm still carrying around this old carcass that's been dying since the day of Adam. I, I know all the struggles I have, and God wants us to know that it's not our performance that determines our identity in his eyes. It is our birth. And it used to be the birth you had in Adam, but now it's the birth you have in the new Adam. So rejoice, church, because you have been not just resurrected in your old dead spiritual self, you have been born anew. You've been born anew. And it's that birth that determines who you are. Who are you? You are in Christ. Christ is in you. You know, we, we, we believe that, that Jesus is in us, and I think I'm going to talk about this in more detail in a couple weeks. Do you know that the Bible also says, the New Testament also says that we are in Christ. If we're in Christ, where are we? Where's Christ? Christ was crucified, buried, resurrected, and now he is at the right hand of the Father. Ever understand this? In, in some, and I don't know that you can fully understand this as much as we are to believe it and live it out, church. But here's what it says. We are in Christ, and Christ is already at the right hand of the Father. He's in a position of not just authority, but acceptance at the right hand of the Father. That's where we are. That's, that's where we are in God's eyes. So when God looks down at us, He doesn't see your old messed up life, and now finally you got it fixed in Jesus. Our old nature has, behold, passed away and we've become new. All things have become new. So when God looks at us, we don't just have the hope of the glory. We have now a present in Christ, who is, by the way, at the right hand of the Father, and we get his heritage. We get his eternal heritage. Now, our eternity not just goes all the way into the future. You know, as a human, you're not eternal in the way that God is eternal. You have a point of birth and you live eternally in either heaven or hell. But now our heritage surpasses that and it goes eternally into the past because we are in Christ. We're in Him. Birth, your new birth, Christian, determines your identity, not your performance. Your performance today, tomorrow, the rest of the week, your performance will let you down. Amen? 
And doesn't it make sense that your performance never impressed God to begin with? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us because now they're ready. Now Radley's pulled himself up by his bootstraps far enough and I can die for him. Now Jimmy's got it going. Now Karen's doing it. Now they're worth me dying for. While we were as far from godly as we could be, he said, now I'll die. The truth about you has to be God's truth about you. If the truth about you is your truth about you, remember it's based on your perspective. God actually knows us better than we know ourselves, church. We run around in in churches these days with an identity crisis and we can't walk out our identity because we're not even sure of our identity. You are, in God's eyes, a saint. I think it's some 60 times after the crucifixion, we are called saints in the New Testament. You know, back in the 80s and 90s, we loved our bumper stickers, right? And uh, the church got in on it, too. We love bumper sticker theology. You know, you've seen the old bumper sticker. I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. I get it. I get the point. I'm not perfect. I'm just a sinner like you, saved by grace. You know, you've heard that. We like to say that. But that's not, that's not actually the truth about us. And maybe in an attempt to identify with our culture, and I get that. We, we, want, we want the world to know that there's nothing special about us. We've been saved by grace, just like, just like the grace we're trying to extend to the world. But we didn't do it ourselves. I, I get that. But we also, church, we got to own, we have to embrace. You have to walk out the truth that God says you are not a sinner. You were a sinner. In some amazing way, from God's viewpoint, we are saints. And yes, sometimes we still sin. But we are saints. How is that true? How is that true? It's legal. It's just. Because our heritage goes back no more to the first Adam. Our heritage has been rewritten. We've been born again into a new heritage. We have now a new father. Uh, Incidentally, it was said of Jesus, and only Jesus, that he was the seed of what? Woman. Uh, Is it important that we hold to a virgin birth, that Jesus did not come from the seed of man? Absolutely. Just like it's important that you can't throw out Genesis, you can't throw out the virgin birth. Why? Because then if Jesus is born of the seed of man, then guess what? He has inherited the fallen spiritual nature of his father. But who was his father? Oh, father in heaven. Father in heaven. And now we become joint heirs with Jesus. That's what's the truth. Now, you should be at this point. Here's where you should be. You should be saying, that's, um, Pastor, that's probably just too far. You, you, you've, gone, you've gone maybe too far. Um, to say that I'm a saint, to say that I'm holy, uh, to say that I'm, I'm, I'm a saint who maybe just sometimes sins, it, you probably are going too far. 
to say that God loves me unconditionally beyond meriting it. His love comes from who he is and not based on anything I do. I mean, aren't you then saying, Pastor, that I can do whatever I want to do as a Christian now if he loves me that way? Um, if, that, if you're thinking that, then great. Then, then Paul and I communicated what Paul wanted to get you to in just the right way. That's where you should, in some crazy way, we should be sitting here saying, that's just, that's too far. It's too good. And how do I know that's where you should be? Why is that in some strange way the goal after today's message? Because that's exactly where Paul goes next. <laughs> some of you may be thinking, that should I just continue to sin so the grace may not? No, that's crazy. That's another sermon for another day. Lord, we should come to the conclusion that uh, your love is beyond us. It is beyond us. But we should also come to the conclusion that it's not just a fairy tale. It is legal and it is just and it makes complete rational and theological sense. We have been born into a new lineage. We are no longer sons and daughters of the first Adam. In Christ, by faith, through the grace that you have extended to us, by the shed blood, because you died for us at just the right time, because of what you've done, not by any part of our performing, but simply by being born anew into the lineage of our Savior, we are, we are holy. And if we do grasp that, if we, if we can swallow that, then there is no real danger in us leaving here and living however we want to live. Oh, that's, that's the least of my concern. If we grasp just a portion of your great love for us, we grasp our inheritance, if we grasp our heritage, not just our future, but we know our past, and you've changed it. You've adopted us, all the sons, daughters. We cry out to you as, as daddy. If we get it, if we, if, we, if we know the truth about what you say about us, that we are saints, then we understand that we would live the rest of our lives as a loving response and obedience to whatever path you set our course to be. It's our desire to be more like you. Thank you for loving us to the depths that you do, God. Thank you that your love for us is not based our performance. It's based on our birth. In Jesus' name. He was the firstborn of many brethren.
Maybe today you have never been born again. And Adam is still... He's still your inheritance. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. And an eternal death. If Adam is your inheritance, that can change today. It's easy. You do nothing. You place by faith. That means you take your hands off the wheel. By faith. You trust in the grace that has been extended to you in the person of Jesus Christ. The one, the man, the last Adam. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, your inheritance, your heritage can be changed. And God will no longer see you as an enemy, as ungodly, as sinners. You will eternally be in Christ. If you need to make that decision, we're going to sing one last song. You can grab me at the door on the way out. You can come up. I'll just be here at the front. Even before that, I'll just say, Pastor, I think I have the wrong heritage. I'm not sure. I need to place my trust in Christ. You can take care of that today. Church, why don't we stand? And why don't you smile at God in your in your spirit, if not with your face. Thank Him for His love as we sing this last song.